The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Tunnel Vision, a show brought to you by uscfootball.com. I'm your host, Keelior, joined by Shotgun Spratling and Ryan Abraham. We have a good show tonight. Uh, USC with a dominant victory over Stanford, 45-20. to uh, the Trojans chop the trees we put in today's topics. Ryan put that in. And a QB star is born. Keen Slovis with his first start breaking some records for USC. Uh, but as we talked about on this show in the preview tunnel vision, we said maybe Stanford is a, a false positive. We've seen that before uh, in the matchup. What should Trojan fans expect going forward from this USC team? Uh, so we have a lot to talk about today. Glad you could join us. Uh, wherever you're watching, uh, you can put your comments, questions, concerns, and we will answer them and put them on the screen. You can also call us and call in live to the show, 512-4-TUNNEL. And then you can also tweet at us, hashtag TunnelVision, and we'll put it on the screen. But guys, like I said, we have a lot to talk about. Where do you want to start? I think obviously we need to start with... The rookie, true freshman quarterback, Keenan Slovis, a uh, start that I don't think anyone besides maybe Graham Harrell and the, the offensive minds of USC's coaching staff expected. Uh, but what did you take away from Saturday's performance? Yeah, Graham Harrell was like, I told you so, I told you so. Yeah. There were questions about, you said he was the most talented quarterback. And, you know, we do want to pump the brakes a little bit. I think he played extremely well his very first start. I mean, all the freshmen that started at USC, he had by far the best debut. No one's thrown more than one touchdown. No one threw for 377 yards. No one had 28 completions. Um, and he did all those things. There was a freshman records for USC. So I think super impressive. Uh, but I think the thing is, we saw a really competent offensive system on display. And I think it's a Stanford team that was a little bit down, but this was a, this was a really good system. And I feel like if JT Daniels was there, he would have had similar numbers. Like I think he would have had a lot of success against this Stanford defense. And to me, it's really about Graham Harrell comes in. He really knows what he's doing. He did pick a guy that was a three-star that a lot of people didn't have a lot of confidence in. We didn't know much about. He wasn't really part of that whole recruiting process. We do know that Kurt Warner was his quarterback coach and, and offensive coordinator uh, in Scottsdale, Arizona. But he came out and I thought showed a lot of poise. He made Looked like he made the right reads. He put the ball where it needed to go. There was a few throws here or there. But for the most part, I mean, you couldn't expect anyone uh, that young and that green to come in and play as well as he did. So I think it's a good sign for USC fans. I think it's a, a better sign for this offense in general that you have a really competent scheme to run. And there's a lot of talent on this team. I tweeted, you know, late in the game. This is still one of the most talented rosters in the country. If you do that 24-7 sports, you know, talent composite, they're number four in the nation behind Alabama, Georgia, and Ohio State. 
Well, this is the first time in a while I've seen it look like up to that talent level that USC has. We just haven't seen that in the past. And what we saw last night, that's what we've seen. I, I think it, they're playing up to that level. We talked about in the offseason, you know, leading up to the season, first with Cliff Kingsbury and then with Graham Harrell, that both of us thought that the offense would get probably 10 more points a game, yeah. you know, average 10 more points a game. And I think you finally see, saw it come to fruition and what can be with this offense last night. Uh, I, I think you saw a little bit of it in the Fresno State game. Again, I think they, they shot themselves in the foot in that first half a little bit. But then they just kind of pulled the reins back, and I think they were a little tentative you know, to, to really unleash everything with Keaton Slovis. You saw from the very beginning they were not going to hold back with Keaton Slovis. Unleashed. When yeah. they started with you know basically five wides and on the first or second play, I mean, they went with a they spread the field out a lot. Uh, you know that was part of the game plan. There were some questions about where the tight tight end was last night. Well, that was because Stanford's defense is physical, but they're not really fast. And I think they wanted to get to some of those younger DBs and put those guys on the field rather than, than their linebacking crew, I think, is a little bit more experienced there. So that's why you saw the, the field being spread. And that's the, the things where pe people were saying, this offense is so simple, how can it be successful? Those are the adjustments you can make. Mm -hmm. Those are the type of things that, that maybe you didn't see in that first game, but you'll start to see them uh, as the season progresses. There's some wrinkles. There's some different things that you didn't show in game one but will still be there as the season progresses. He didn't show in the game two everything, obviously, either. But I think that Slovis came out and did his thing, and I think the most impressive part was his poise. You know, the, the throws were good. You know, the way he, he read the field. His, probably his most impressive play to me was a six-yard pass. He went through five reads before he wow. threw the ball to Muneer McLean uh, on, or on, on the right side on the play. He started on the left. Went through a couple of progressions. He actually stepped up in the pocket when everything was kind of surrounding him. And then he looked at two more reads to get to McLean. So he, he went through, I think, five reads on the play. It was the most impressive play that I saw last night. It wasn't the, the touchdown throws or you know anything else he did. But a play that he went through so many reads while having the poise to be able to move up in the pocket and stay behind the line of scrimmage and keep his eyes downfield. Did all the things you would expect of a, a veteran quarterback. In his very first start, I yeah. think that that's the t things that were most impressive to me, rather than the yardage or the, you know, all those those quarterbacks you talked about. You know, the most as a true freshman, none of those other guys played in the air raid offense. Right. You know, I, I think you know guys like Carson Palmer and Matt Barkley probably would have put up better numbers if they were asked to do a little bit more. They were asked to throw it a couple more times than the than the other ones did. Rob Johnson and and J T Daniels are the five you know the five guys prior to to slow or or the, the four prior to Slovis but you know those guys can all sling the ball as well would they all have the poise that that Keaton had in his very first game that's the hard part to tell I, you know I think that the way that those guys career turned out and besides JT because he's not eligible even to leave for the NFL but all the other guys are in the NFL that were able to, to start as freshmen I think that shows you a lot of, of what he can do and and where he's at already as far as his his maturity as a quarterback yep now we'll obviously get back to the offense and, and that performance but on the other side of the ball the defense it seemed like they got off to a little bit of a slow start now the special teams didn't help USC's defense uh, a lot in the beginning mm -hmm. yeah. uh, but it, se it seemed like a bend but don't break type of defense how do you expect this defense to look going forward and what adjustments did you see them make uh, at the half yeah, so early on, you saw the uh, big kickoff return uh, for Stanford to kind of set you know Stanford up. I talked to Clancy Pendergast, uh, me, and I think it was just one other reporter. We got him uh, as he was leaving, and you know he seemed like pretty confident in what they were doing. Clayon actually mentioned in the post game press conference that uh, they made some adjustments at halftime to 
to uh, stop the runs up the middle. And I asked Clancy about that, and he was sort of like, whoa, whoa, pump the brakes. Like, there was one, they gave up one big run, like a 44-yard run. And I watched the play. I think it was Pallier didn't uh, fill the middle. It was just a run fit that they didn't uh, fill there. And it was sort of this um, delayed handoff, like a draw play that uh, Cameron Scarlett took up the middle for 44 yards. Outside of that, I mean, there was a like a reverse. There, there were, you know, they they scored a touchdown on like a screen pass or got some, you know, picked up some first downs there. But for the most part, I think the defense played pretty well. They didn't have to make a ton of adjustments, just make sure everyone was going to, you know, follow their assignment in the second half. And he really did a good job rotating the defensive line. I mean, I know everyone talked about he doesn't like to play a lot of guys, but he seemed like now that he feels confident in the depth that they have, he liked the fact that they got to play eight defensive linemen. And they, they played like a Connor Murphy inside. Clay Hilton mentioned him on the conference call we just had uh, a little bit ago. He had a sack in the game. And, you know, Shotgun points out that's their uh, pass, rush, pass rush package where you put defensive ends at defensive tackle spots on, like, third and longs. And they did that with, like, Christian Rector and uh, Connor Murphy. Then you'd have someone on the outside and then, you know, like, a, a you know, a Drake Jackson or something, and you'd have, like, a Hunter Eccles. So it was kind of like a bunch of defensive end outside linebackers across the line. And I think this, it worked pretty well. So 10 tackles for loss in the game. Or Chris Trevino said you want to get at least five. Well, they doubled that. So I, I think overall it was good. I said that would happen. That that prediction would come true. You know, yeah. I, you, they, they played in the backfield a lot. And the rotation, I talked with a couple of different guys. They said, you know, they feel so much more fresh at the in the third and fourth quarters. And that's when USC took over the game. It was, you know, it was 24-20 at halftime. I mean, USC finished the game on a 35 to or, or a 42 to three run. 42. It's crazy. They were yeah. down 17-3, and then they completely flipped. Yeah. And it, you know they they move the ball really well that first drive, but they only get three points out of it. You know they, they can't score when they get down. I think it was like the three yard line to to get first and goal, and things could have all went downhill. You know, especially after the fumble. Yeah. The defense does their job. They get a hold. You know, force the field goal there. It's only 17-3. And what was interesting, and, and you know, uh, Chris Trevino talked with one of the players, and they said, Keaton Slovis went around, told everybody, let's go, let's go. You know, we're going to score on every drive from here on out. And he, like, looked guys in the eyes, and and that's impressive. Yeah. And, then, and then watching the, by, That might be the most impressive thing he did. That well, well, then watching the broadcast, Molly McGrath, who's the, the sideline reporter, said that JT Daniels actually said, hey, you need to go talk to your offensive lineman. You need to go do this. So... JT Daniels, I think, played a big role in Keaton's success. JT Daniels was on the, the travel roster for the guys that stay in the hotel the night before. He roomed with Keaton. You know, he gave Keaton his notes on what his weekly, uh, you know, his weekly routine is leading into a game to help him out. You know, he did a lot of things to help out somebody, which you, that's that's something you don't have to yeah, do. Yeah, that's not. Yeah. This not, wasn't a Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers sort of treatment where yeah. you're just like, stay over there, rookie. I'm not going to talk to you. <laughs> and I think that tells you a little bit about this team and how yeah. different it is than maybe <clears throat> what we saw last year in particular, but maybe what we've seen the last couple of years where, you know, there were kind of factions and it was, you know, things were split apart a little bit. I think this team is playing well together. You know, yeah. Clay Helton talked about it on, on his uh, conference call about how, how much fun they're having right now, how they almost got a couple of penalties because everybody wanted to celebrate <laughs> on the field. Yeah. Uh, they did get a sideline warning on Greg Johnson's uh, interception. Yeah. But yeah. I, I think that that shows you a lot about this group. That everyone's having fun together. And Keaton Slovis has kind of been the, the rallying point you know, this last week. When he threw his first touchdown pass, he, he basically got mugged going to the sideline. Yeah. Everyone, everybody wanted to tap him on pretty. the helmet. Yeah. But, but, and 
that tells you a lot about Slovis. But I, I thought about it, and I, and I thought back, and I looked back through some of my photos. The same thing happened when Stephen Carr scored last week. You know, when he scored, and everybody knows, you know, he's had this back ailment that's, that's kind of, you know, neutered him to an, to an extent, and he's back. And everybody just wanted to celebrate with him. And I think it just – I think there's a different atmosphere around this group yeah. right now. They're playing as a team, and when they have the talent that they have and you don't hurt yourself, which has been one of their biggest issues, but – and you, you want to play for each other – Good things can happen. Yeah. I think that's what you saw yesterday. Yeah, and when you have good team chemistry, it makes having resilience easier. And having resilience is not an easy thing to do in a game. So in 17-3, that Velas uh, fumble after the kickoff return, that's a point in 2018 where that team, it would just spiral Runs downward. Up. It's it's done. The, the energy was flat. You know, that would be over. But this team, and Clay Helton has said it, the players in the Saturday night post-game stuff said it as well. They're... Their motto is, so what, now what? You know, there is going to be problems, but what happens when, uh, What? how do we respond? And that's something that we kept asking what, about this team coming into this season. How would they respond when adversity struck? And yeah. so I think for USC fans, that's a good sign because that was something that just plagued the team uh, last year and, and years before as well. Yeah, they got punched in the mouth. We talked about that. What's going to happen when you get punched in the mouth? They got punched in the mouth. Against Fresno State, losing your starting quarterback. And they didn't, you know, the response wasn't great, but they came out in this game and got punched in the mouth again and got up off the campus and just, the campus and just started pummeling Stanford. And Stanford had no, you know, without KJ Costello, Davis Mills looked okay, but it was a lot of screen passes and stuff. But they were just, they were running like, uh, you know, 30 years old offense, just trying to like protect their quarterback and stuff. USC wasn't doing that. They said, here, Keaton Slovis, go out and win the game for us and, you know, throw the ball all over the field. Drake London, you catch two passes on the very first drive. We're going to show you what we're doing. They rotated dudes in. Uh, everybody was getting a turn outside of the tight ends. But it really was something that I think they they knew their backs were against the wall. There's no time. There, there's no room for error in this team. Like, this is the offense that's going to win us games. We're not going to take six weeks and trying to figure it out with a young quarterback. We're going to play him right away, let him do whatever he can do, and he did it, and the results were great. So that was awesome. And give and give a lot of credit to the defensive side. for the. They made some small adjustments. You know, uh, Chad Kay actually told me that after halftime, they basically they trusted their defensive line and said, hey, we're going to give you guys some freedom. So they changed a little bit on some twists and stunts that they were doing, but they basically freed those guys up to rush the passer and get a little bit more pressure because they, they felt that they were, you know, they felt confident they were stuffing the run on the mm -hmm. inside plays. Now, one of the things I was concerned about early in that game, you know, Stanford gets off to a great start. It was all very similar stuff to what Fresno did to USC. The misdirection yeah. with the reverse, you know, the, the screen passes. And, you know, the, the reverse is not – Stanford's, you know, a pretty straightforward team. They don't run, run a lot of misdirection stuff in that, in that uh, vein. So that was definitely, you know, all like, okay, we saw what they did. Well, what happened? USC made some adjustments. For, uh, Stanford still ran some screens and stuff in the second half. They didn't have the, the same success with them that they did early in the game. Right. So there were some small adjustments that the defense made, and they pitched a shutout in the second half. Yep. So, so give a lot of credit. I know there's a lot of Clancy Pendergast detractors, especially in the first half. Mm. My mentions were lighting up with uh, wanting to fire the, and find a new D.C. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, give them credit for making adjustments and, and the defense. And I think – it plays into how fresh that defensive line is that yeah. they're still able to, to create some pressure and it takes a little bit of the pressure off those young DBs. And I, you know, I thought those guys played pretty well last night. 
Greg Johnson comes up with the interception. Uh, Isaac Taylor Stewart, I think he was thrown out once and, and completed a pass. You know, no one's really throwing at him. They yeah. tried to throw it against Elijah Griffin. They're like, yeah. okay, we like the matchup of seven inches taller with Colby <laughs> Parkinson. OG's throwing out the vertical yeah. out there. Crazy. It he was crazy. A, he had a great check, game. Check Keeley's uh, timeline for Yeah, like, I tweeted out uh, my view of, of uh, OG's bat down, and it's just it's a it's a nice play. Yeah. <laughs> so check that out. Yeah, Chris Steele had his first pass break up on mm -hmm. a fourth down play. So, like, yeah, they all contributed. And I love the way OG also contributed in his run, in the run defense. You know, he, he, he was, was playing on the edge, and especially when they use a lot of tight ends and, you know, maybe they don't split out a wide, a wide receiver. He was he was a willing he, – he's ready to throw his body in there right. and be a part of the, the run defense too. I love seeing that. It's not a big body. It's not like he's like some – it's not like he's Biggie, you know, Marshall out yeah, there. Yeah, he's not, not quite as big as Steele <laughs> or, or, or Biggie or even Isaac Taylor Stewart. Yeah. Um, and coming off double shoulder surgery, you know, yeah. there was no hesitation there. And, and – just to throw it in there, I, Isaiah Polamalu. I told him after the game, I was like, the best part of this, you know, beating Stanford for you guys is that you were still healthy after it, unlike last year because yeah. he got hurt in the Stanford Good game. Good point. Uh, and he said, you know, it, honestly, it crossed my mind. Wow. You know? So it and there's just these small hurdles that I think this team is overcoming, and that that's a very small one, but I think it's just a I think it's representative. Whatever the word representative is, representative. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it won't come out, but yeah, that of this team and how they're playing together and how, how each player is kind of overcoming a small hurdle on his own. Connor Murphy getting his first sack, which yep. is a really nice pass rush, throwing the true uh, true freshman left tackle out of the way and getting his. He was super excited, you know, as a fourth-year guy to finally get one. Hunter Eccles gets in his first sack. He got a half a sack there. Tremblay as well was in on that one. You know, you're seeing so many contributions, and that's what – can make USC great yeah. yeah, is that you have so much talent in this team. Hey, only 11 guys can play on each snap, but if you can rotate and everyone's contributing, how much better are you than the 11 on the other side or the 22, you know, on their two deep, you've got way more talent if you use it correctly. Yeah. Yep. And we saw that with the wide receiver, wide receiver rotation as well. Uh, but not to be the Debbie Downer, but I just want to... Debbie Downer? No, no, no. I just want to bring reality or, or a bigger picture into this. We, in this show, on Thursday night before the, sh before, uh, the Stanford game, kind of said, you know, Stanford hasn't always... How USC looks in the Stanford game doesn't always match up with the, the rest of the season. In 2017, USC put up 600 yards of offense uh, in, in that game, but then didn't really match that. I know, granted, they beat Stanford in the Pac-12 Championship that year, but what I'm saying is... How much can we take away from this game, and how much can we expect from this offense uh, going forward? Yeah, the false positive theory. You guys talked about it a little bit in uh, instant analysis and all that. Um, I mean, I think you have to take it with a grain of salt. It's usually – Gerard has a great say. Gerard Martinez, our recruiter, has a great say. You know, it's never as good. It's never as bad. It's always going to be somewhere in the middle. Uh, is Keaton Slovis the next Joe Montana? Like, I don't know, maybe. But, does, you know, is he, people comparing him to Sam Darnold – but I feel like this is a Stanford team that looked like they were playing with their backup quarterback. I think they looked like they didn't have the same sort of offensive line that we've seen, you know, in the past several years. Even last year, it wasn't very good. But they, without that dynamic running back, I just don't think Cameron Scarlett is that guy. He's been waiting behind Heisman candidates his whole career trying to get out there. But he's just not that kind of generational talent like some of those other backs that Stanford's has. And we... It just doesn't seem like the roster is quite as good as what we've seen before. And then, but KJ Costello is a complete stud. They lost so much production from the wide receiver spots last year. They got some good guys, but without Costello, it just didn't seem like it was going to be the same thing. Maybe it's a different story if Costello is playing. 
Um, but so you would take it with a grain of salt. But the one thing I would say, there's definitely a divide right now with USC fans. There's the people that just like, hey, I'm rooting for USC no matter what. Clay Helton, I want him to win. And then there's the other side that's like, I think Clay Helton's a terrible coach. I'd rather see USC lose so that they get rid of Clay Helton. I, it, it happens. I want you guys, I want everyone, if you're watching this program, it's probably because you're a USC fan or maybe you hate USC. <laughs> this is Stanford. Like, you know, my sister who doesn't, she went to the University of San Diego. She hates Stanford. She would come up to games. I hate that tree. I hate it. Like, you hate the band that wasn't even there. This is like the third biggest rival. It was the hundredth meeting between USC and Stanford. There's US, Notre Dame, UCLA. Stanford's right there as far as rivalries go. They, David Shaw had beat USC six out of the t last ten times. This is a game that you want to win. This was a blowout win against a rival, against a power in the Pac-12 North, which is the more powerful side of the uh, conference, the division we look like. It's a big deal to beat Stanford. So I know it might not go with your narrative that you want to see them lose so that they'll fire Clay. Forget all that stuff for just not. Just enjoy the fact that USC beat the pants off of Stanford and walk away and be like, hey, you know what? Whatever happens, happens. We'll find out what happens later. I still don't think Clay Helton's a good coach, but man, that felt good to crush Stanford. So hopefully the people can do that and not just complain that USC won a blowout game against a bitter rival. I guess if you're complaining about it, like, what's your end game here? Like, do you really want, is you, have you lost sight of what you want yeah. USC you to You want to be right. You're like, I told you that he was the worst, but if they beat Stanford, then maybe they're not, he's not the worst. It's like, you can still believe that he's not a very good coach. And a lot of people will believe you, but enjoy the fact that they beat the heck out of Stanford. Yeah, and to be fair, I mean, people were saying that I was the Debbie Downer bringing reality back into it. I was the one, the only one on the team who predicted a Stanford win, and I said Graham Harrell's <laughs> offense hasn't been proven wrong yet. I would just like to tout that fact. Thank you. Yeah, That's you did predict Stanford would win. We thought USC would win, right? Is that how it Oh, went? man, no. I said, <laughs> <laughs> I said USC would win. Oh, you, I don't remember. You just said Stanford wins. So we're going to go with what you said. Darn it. No, also, also just like <laughs> looking at the team and looking at Stanford – I didn't really like their game planning. You know, they went away from some stuff on the offensive side. On the defensive side, they stayed in man most of the game. Yeah. And, you know, USC was able to exploit that in both the pass and the run. You know, I, I'm curious to see, you know, we'll see teams try to attack Keaton in different ways. You know, you, you if you watch the end of the Cal game, you know, what they were able to do uh, last night against Jacob Eason, you know, confusing him with blitzes and different things like that. You know, when you see some other defenses, how, how do they kind of try to attack Keaton? It can be completely different. One guy might be really good at one thing and might be bad at another. Yeah. We got to wait and see a little bit on Keaton on, on that. When teams try to drop eight, or is USA, USC able to consistently run the ball so that they force them out of that as well? Those type things. And I think that we've seen really positive things from the offensive line, the running game yeah. so far. Uh, not that it's been – you know, have been relied on too much, but USC has been able to pick up yardage. Stephen Carr and Vi are, are, you know, racking up touchdowns right now. When the ball gets inside the, the 10, five yard line, those guys are, are getting in the end zone and making the most of it. So I, I think there's positive signs, but I'm still a little bit cautious before yeah. I'm going to say that USC is a, a college football playoff contender right now. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, don't say the word back yet. The whole, you know, the Texas is yeah, back. Yeah, don't like, say back. Don't say the word back. I think they said, uh, just our, never say Texas. Our is friends back. at Raymond <laughs> Troy were saying that. Don't want to, I think Alicia was saying that. Yeah, like, they're don't like, say the BACK word. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's like, it's a, a positive sign. They looked a lot better, um, you know, but there's that false positive potential. David Shaw is a stubborn. I mean, a lot of coaches are stubborn. He's very stubborn. True. They do things their way. If USC's, you know, throwing out five young wide receivers, that he's throwing the ball over the place, 
he's not going to change his strategy and, and drop back at a, at a zone because they do things their way, you know, but that might have been more effective and you might have, yeah. you know, knocked, you know, made Slovis think about some things, but he didn't. And, that, and so it worked. So, but another, another team could have a completely different defense and make Slovis look uh, a little more mortal than what Stanford was doing, who was kind of stubborn about the what the what their coverages and the way they wanted to do things. Stubborn is one way to put it. You could also <laughs> say that Shaw is at times, at times, is the dumbest smart coach that you you see, like like the smartest guy, but does some dumb. Yeah, things. just like sometimes you got to switch it up. I mean, we talk about it all the time with USC and when when they've struggled in the past. It's like sometimes you got to switch up practice. You got to do. I mean, and and they were giving him a lot of credit on the broadcast. You know, when I, I skimmed through it, uh, of, of how he's able to make adjustments at halftime when he sees some different things. But I, I thought that there were things that they went away from they could have stuck with, and, and things that they they could have tried differently than what they did. But yeah, hey, he, he's won won some games, so I can't. Right. I don't think you can complain too much about what he's we got. Doing. A lot of people. Yeah, we had two calls. I've been waiting to jump in. Oh, with that's that. great. We have a lot uh, of people. Hey, hit like whatever you're watching. Give us some likes or whatever. We got. Man, Ryan we got loves a ton of the likes. People. Yeah, like, he does. I mean, it helps us out. I like the little hearts that, that pop up. It's neat. <laughs> the periscope. Uh, yeah, but let's go to our live callers right hearts. now. Um, hello, you are live on Tunnel Vision. Hi, I'm John from Glendora calling about the defense and uh, looking at it like that defense can look like they can really build up a performance like that. Hey, John. Yeah, I think uh, – there's some positives to be gained from that. We talked about the talent that the USC has in the front seven. Now, the linebackers got banged up a little bit. We'll see, like, if a Jordan Iasefa comes back. Uh, but the defensive line, especially, being able to rotate eight guys, I think that opens up a lot of opportunities. The secondary is only going to get better. The talent is there. There just wasn't a whole lot of experience. And we weren't sure, is Talanoa Hufunga going to be healthy after a couple broken collarbones? Is Isaiah Polamau going to be healthy? Uh, you know, uh, Elijah Griffin, who I, um, from the beginning, I told you guys he was going to start. Like, he's got to start. He's our best corner by far, I think, right now, right? Wasn't I, I think I was right about that. But yeah, yeah. And he's the guy that's not rotating in. But just because you're the best doesn't mean that USC was necessarily going to go with that. True. Because yes. he, <laughs> because if you're not proven in a game, then yeah. sometimes the coaches won't. You know, and he's a you know a very aggressive defender. Where I thought they might go for a little bit more stability with ITS and, and maybe Chris yeah. Steele. But he he's earned his keep definitely after yeah. that game. He had four pass breakups. Uh, it was great. And overall, so this USC defense. Uh, 10 tackles for loss, like we talked about. None of them, they were all like two, three yards. Like there was, there were not like, they didn't have like a 10 yard sack or anything like that. And it was spread out between a lot of guys. So I think Drake Jackson had one and a half, but everyone, it was, everyone had like one tackle for loss. It was coming from all over the place. So I think this is a really good step uh, for this defense. Well, they're going to play some different kind of offenses uh, that, you know, we didn't see Stanford do a whole lot against Northwestern, which I think they have a pretty good defense. We're going to see some more dynamic offenses down the road, but I think it's a really good sign for the defense. Yeah, I think that you're rotating a lot of guys there, but that so many guys are contributing. You know, so it's not like you're rotating and you feel like there's a big drop off. You know, Caleb Trimley comes in there, runs right by a guy on one of his first pass rush attempts, and that's a guy who who didn't play last week, was injured all last season. Nick Figueroa has been in there; he's yeah. been making some plays. You know, in the middle of that defense. The guys are playing like studs. Tui Pulotu, Brandon Peely, Jay Tefele, and Figueroa, 
those guys are playing like studs right now. Yeah. You know, th- that's why if the two games, they, there was one that one run by uh, Stanford, which there was a split, and I don't know which I don't know if it was Nateote or Houston. I both think it was Nateote. He was kind of on the. I think he needed to fill in the middle. He kind well, of both of them outside. split. So I don't know who was supposed to have the middle. Okay, ones. maybe it was. Yeah. Uh, so I don't want to lay blame falsely here. But besides that, in two games, there's they've given up maybe their longest runs probably like six or seven yards up the middle. Yeah. Like they are completely controlling the middle of the tackles, and that's because of the the work that those defense tackles are doing up front. I mean, we see I, we we highlighted a little bit on our film study last week what Marlon Tui Pelotu was able to do in a couple of plays, but all, like Jay Tavelli on the fourth fourth and one play, I mean, he just completely controlled his offensive lineman and then shed him and, and went and made the play. I think those guys are playing really well up front, and that's making it a lot easier for the back oh, seven. Everyone, when they when you see if Tavelli's making a play, everyone around him can do something better. Like they beat their guy, they beat their blocker, they beat their double team, and it just opens a lot of things up. So it's a it's a big deal. Those three defensive tackles, we talked about them all offseason, like they're going to be good, and and they have been. And I think. You're playing well from the inside out. That's going to help the entire defense. Thank you for the call. Let's move on to our next caller um, very quickly here. Uh, sorry. Real quick on Periscope, USC Jen. Hold on, Ryan. Oh, we have caller, a caller. You're on the line. Okay. <laughs> hey, uh, this is Ben from Minnesota. So is it realistic to see a 6-0 and start if Keaton Slovis keeps playing like this? I mean, yeah, that, so is it realistic? The 6 0 start would be extremely difficult, and I don't think it's going to be because of Keaton Slovis. Like, it's got to be everything. It's not just your freshman quarterback doing well. I think the offensive scheme needs to keep advancing and playing like we saw against some different defenses, different looks. Uh, I think the defense, like we talked about, has to keep playing at a high level. I think we probably need a little bit better, see better play out of some of the special team stuff. It was pretty, wasn't a great special team effort outside of the uh, block field goal from Austin Jackson uh, yesterday, but this is a really talented roster. If they play up to that potential, they can beat all those teams. Uh, it's going to be tough to win on the road at Washington, but they just yeah. lost the Cal, you know, Notre Dame. I haven't watched a ton of them yet. You know, it, they were a playoff team last year. That's, that's certainly going to be a tough test, but uh, you know, even just BYU this weekend, like they you know, they just come off a big win in Knoxville. Uh, that's not an easy place, place to go 2000 miles away. So, yeah, I mean, these are all going to be hard games we talked about, but it's not like they're unwinnable because this USC has a better roster than all those teams. Yeah. I, I think what Keaton Slovis showed us in this game is that he's probably not going to lose the game for you. Yeah. yeah. You know, he showed that he's got poise. He's not going to freak out when there's pressure and, you know, just throw the ball to the, the opponent. And he made some really quality throws. I mean, there were twice where Paulson and Debo, I think he thought he had an interception. The one of Tyler Vaughn's where Tyler Vaughn's then takes it, I, I think he obviously thought there. But there was a little out pass, I think also to Maneer McLean, uh, that the Debo was playing the route, and he played the route perfectly, and the ball beat him. And, like, he, he played the route, and I feel like he was probably in his head going, how did this get here before, you know, that should have been my ball. And it, it was just the velocity on it was, was there before he – and maybe he just didn't expect that from a freshman. I'm not sure. But there were a couple of throws where Slovis showed he has arm strength. And when you combine arm strength and poise, you can do a lot of nice things as a quarterback. Yeah. And, we, you know, this is one game, too. Slovis hasn't played on the road yet. There's, yeah. a, lot, there's a lot of stuff. But I, think, I don't think it's just – Slovis. I think it's the whole team has to play like you know what we've seen, uh, playing up to their potential, which we really didn't see a lot of the last couple of years. I'm just curious what this defense looks like when they face a true, truly accurate passer quarterback. Like I just don't feel like either Stanford or uh, Jorge Reina or Davis Mills has been that accurate. Like I'm just curious, even though I mean OG 
stood up to the test. I'm just curious. Yeah. Yeah, there's been opportunities in both those games for deep balls and plays. I mean, Parkinson was open for one. Uh, there was somebody on the other side against Greg Johnson that was open for one. OG got beat on one. So there's three potential chunk plays that were missed by bad throws. Yeah. You know, so if you get like somebody's Like Costello hit those or something, yeah. you know. So maybe, and, you know, if you get one of those plays and it, suddenly it's 27-24, Stanford's leading, or, you know, you know it, it can change the complexion of a game a lot. So that's one thing we still have to see with this defense as well, I think. Yeah. yeah. Real quick on Periscope, USC Jen. Love the comment, Ryan. We want to win every game. Yeah, if you're, you're a USC fan, you should want to win every game. Not just prove yourself right because you said somebody sucks or whatever. Um and then uh, LC, Harold's offensive mind with USC athletes is going to be out of this world. That's what we've talked about. The potential, you know, with the kind of talent USC has and a really good scheme, we saw that on display. Even with a freshman quarterback, it, it looked great. Even the first couple drives of the Fresno State game, I mean, that looked, that was a thing of beauty, that 15-play drive that JT Daniels came out of the gate with. So, yeah, that's what we're talking about. The potential is there. And we saw a little bit of that potential yesterday. Which is why 6-0 and is not impossible. Yeah. Yep. Uh, thanks, Brandon, for the call. We have more callers on the line, oh, so nice. let's get to that. Uh, I believe this is Lewis. Hello, you're live on Tunnel Vision. Hi, this is Avery. I'm calling from uh, Los Angeles, California. I wanted to talk about what do we think the impact to recruiting will be now that we're seeing such improved defensive and offensive line play. There's a lot to be said about the California line and not having the bodies and the size to match up with SEC, but both of these lines look really good. Thanks, Adrian. Yeah, the, we, we've told you guys for a long time now that USC recruiting is kind of in a holding pattern. There's going to be three-star mm -hmm. commits until you see what's going on in the field. Is it going to be meh, and there's going to be a coaching change, and then who knows who comes in, and then you try to flurry recruits? Or do you come out, and the air raid looks good with the strength and conditioning coach, the defense looks better, and they're winning games, and they're, they're, they're not back, but they're back to – being the favorite, the Pac-12, and all that, then I think you're going to start getting more attention from a lot of these four- and five-star players that really are sort of in a wait-and-see mode. So I think they look like this in the next couple of games. I think that holding pattern ends, and then you can actually go out and, and step up the recruiting game a little bit. So I, I feel like we're, we're now figuring that out. But it, it was going to take games, no matter what, to sort of put USC recruiting in the certain direction that it was going to go. Now that we're having games, and that now you can kind of see – which fork this path is going to take, you know, which you're going to take. And they had a pretty good list uh, of recruits at the game on, on Saturday. Uh, and from the initial reaction, I, you know, from texting a couple of kids is pretty excited about seeing, yeah. you know, the way the team played. Not only just that they won, but the way they won, the way they were able to get pressure on the quarterback on one side, the way that they were able to kind of dice up that Stanford defense, all those things that kids are looking at and going, okay, that, yeah. that looks fun. Yeah. You know, kids want to have fun. That, and USC's having a lot of fun right now on the sidelines, on the field, yeah. all of it. And Chris Steele that's told what happens me, when you win. Yeah, Chris Steele told me that was the most fun he ever had playing football. Wow. And, yeah, so it was like and, – and the fans were like – I was about to say, yeah. This felt like a win. This wasn't like, <laughs> oh, you beat Fresno State by eight, but what's going on? Like, this was like, wow. Like, what are you going to – there's nothing to bitch about. They're like, you just like <laughs> – right. right? Like, they're just like <laughs> – it's like they felt like like this felt good. This yeah, felt like, like a win. What I kept hearing is people said this was the first win that they enjoyed since either the 2017 Pac-12 championship or the Penn State Rose Bowl game. So wow, it's yeah. been a long time for USC fans, apparently, and they yeah. were pretty relieved last night. Uh, but thanks for the call. We have more callers. Uh, let's just right. we love callers. Let's through these. Um, these are great callers, too. They're like getting to the point. It's good. Hi, you're live on television. 
Oh, I can hear myself. Yeah, you gotta turn down the. Uh, yeah, turn off your computer while I call in. Sorry, I dropped you. Alrighty, yeah. next caller. Yeah, if you're calling in, don't be listening. It's just like the radio. Yeah. You know, like there's a delay. You don't want to listen to what we're Hi, doing. Hi, caller. You're on the line. Hello. Can you hear me? Yes. Hi. Okay. Sorry. sorry. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Sorry about that. This is Lewis from Fountain Valley. Um, I had a question, or not really a question, just more of a statement. You know, I've been so impressed by JT, you know, going down with this injury and all, you know, going out of his way to tutor Keaton, giving his notes, uh, just uh, being on the side, being so positive. Um, just curious if, you know, Keaton continues to play like this, and that's a what if, but he looked really good uh, last night. Um, what is JT's future? You know, do you see JT potentially transferring out next year? Thanks, Lewis. I'm not touching this because this is such a hypothetical. Yeah. Like, we got a lot. Of, I got a lot yeah. of these tweets yesterday about Same. him and Bryce Young. And yeah. the thing is, Slovis can break his leg the next game, and then you're completely in a different thing, you know, or he decides that he wants to leave the country and, and take up something. You, you never know. <laughs> you, you never know what's going to happen. And it's so far away. You don't know if Bryce Young is going to actually sign with USC. It's still a, you know, a four month, I think four months away, you know, those things all, there's still so much time that it's very, very, very early to try to make a designation of, okay, this guy's going to be here. This guy's going to be transferring or this guy's going to be competing. Right. You know, those things. I just think it's way too early for that. You know, I, I think the fact that, that JT is helping out Keaton so much tells you how much he, he enjoys his time at USC. He said that's you know he's still excited to be a Trojan. That's what he said last week. I talked to him after the game. I, I got him one on one for a couple questions, and he told me the thing that he was most impressed about with, with Keaton was his uh, his willingness to say no. That, that kind of sounded weird, and he's, he by that he meant that he was willing to not throw it to his first option, but to look. Find a second or a third option. You know, he's willing to say no to that first thing that was there and instead look for the best option there. And I thought that was impressive. And, and he even said that he thinks the offense can be really, really good this year. You know, and he said with Keaton or any quarterback that's able to, to make the throws and, and make the reads, that this offense will be really good because the receivers and, you know, everyone around them is, is so good. So I don't think that he's necessarily backing away from the potential of a competition, but if somehow Slovis goes and wins the Heisman, yeah, any quarterback is gonna that think that was the starter is probably gonna transfer because he wants to play. Yeah. So, it, but it's just so early to tell. You know, Keaton could be garbage the next three games, and suddenly it's like I wish just wish we had JT back. <laughs> yeah. Those things are so hard to tell, but by one game because football is a game of matchups. Sometimes you're really good against certain matchups and really bad against other ones. Yeah. And Stanford, part of the reason why we call Stanford the false positive is because they're so unique compared to other teams. Just the, their style of play and the offensive sets they run, you know, with their triple or quadruple or 47 tight end sets <laughs> that they run, uh, you know, those are – you don't see that in the rest of the Pac-12, really. You know, no one – everyone else is pretty much running some spread right. offense. Uh, so – it makes it very unique, and you can be really good stopping that type of stuff, but then suddenly you get four or five wide receivers like USC did to Stanford, and you can't stop it because you don't have the same type of athletes. Yeah. So we'll see. There's a lot of things that still have to, to be in play on this. Yeah, one. but thanks. I think the good thing is that Keaton Slovis is doing the right thing. JT Daniels is doing the right thing. They're handling it really well. So you just, one game in, 
everyone's doing the right thing, and that's that's kind of what you want. And to touch on Bryce Young, he's doing the right thing, yeah. racking up touchdowns and yards. I mean, he was phenomenal. He's kind of had a pedestrian performance out of the gate, right? Like there was <laughs> was it seven touchdowns? <laughs> was that's pedestrian. Was, I don't yeah, five hundred something yards and seven touchdowns. I think it was this past. Pretty ridiculous. Crazy. Yes. Uh, but thank you for the call. Um, I'm gonna put just our calls on hold just for a little bit. I want to give some love to the other platforms who are putting their questions in. Uh, let's go to Dallas on YouTube who says, Shotgun, do you feel like the team has the talent slash depth in the O-line to impose our will on teams in the fourth quarter with the game on the line? I know it's still early, but dot, dot, dot. dot, dot, dot. I want to say I, there was at least one play where I just stopped the play and I rewound it, let it go in slow motion, I rewound it, let it go in slow motion. USC had pushed the defensive line three yards down the field, and it was a it was a short yardage play. It may have been a second down, but it was like second and two or second and one. And by the time Vi got to the hole, he was already past the first down marker. Wow. And I was like, what? That's what have different. I just seen here? This looks different. This is unique. I think that that's a positive. Now, we didn't necessarily see that last week, but I just think I think they're gaining confidence too. And, you know, Clay has talked that they are the most important key to this, this whole team is, you know, is, and he said he started with his whole press conference. Like, I know you guys are going to want to talk about the skill players and what they but, did, yeah. but the big men are why we won this game. And he was talking about both sides of the offensive line, but he's also call, he called the offensive line their best it's kept the secret, best right? secret weapon. Yeah, yeah. Best kept and secret. he said, like, you know, you guys might not know this, but this is going to be the most improved unit. I mean, he had a lot of confidence in that yeah, offensive he did. line. And I think a lot of that should be relayed to the work that Aaron Osmus has put in. You know, some guy, even on the defensive side, guys like Brandon Peely slimmed down. He lost 20 pounds, and yet he was throwing Stanford linemen around. And Stanford's usually supposed to be the ones that are, you know, dominant in the trenches, but it was USC that really did that. I think that they're strong. They look like they're, they're playing like they're stronger. I, I don't know all their gains in the weight room or anything, but they're playing with more confidence and togetherness and stronger, and that all leads back to strength and conditioning coach and what you do in the offseason. So I think that's that may be their biggest hire, co-hire, co-biggest hire with Graham Harrell. Yeah. And and to your point, Clay Hilton had said that the, the offensive line is gelling as players, and he also said and as friends. And I think the chemistry thing is an interesting thing just to keep harping back to because I just saw the, the camaraderie on that line and in the offense as a whole and as the team, they're just so happy for each other. And I think that just breeds positive chemistry uh, and teamwork that this team kind of lacked at times and in previous seasons where you saw, you saw the individuals come out. Or, you know... Clay has said it multiple times. They all this offensive line class signed together and have gr grown up together. Beforehand, you had two veteran guys, some younger guys. That can be hard to gel sometimes. Or if there's a lack of leadership from the older guys, as a young guy, can you step up and do that, or will you be stepping on toes? But I think the evenness in their ages and the fact that they're becoming more friends now, I think helps uh, the whole team dynamic. Yeah, this entire group outside of Drew Richmond and Clay said adding his veteran, you know, experience in the SEC and his, you know, kind of presence in the locker room. The rest of the group that are playing right now are all third-year guys. Yeah. Now some of them are redshirt sophomores um, with, with Brett Nealon and um, Elijah Vera Tucker, but the other guys are all juniors. You know, they're all they all came in the same class. They're all pretty good friends. Even though you got Andrew Voorhees and Jalen McKenzie, you know, splitting time at that. That uh, right guard position, they're all like, like she said, the the camaraderie is there. They're all a, a tight knit group, and it, it's hard to it's 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 something I think that goes unnoticed sometimes. But especially within units, 
being friends and working together and be, the offensive line unit in particular is the biggest where you have to work off your, you know, yeah. the person beside you. And I think that's what they're doing so far. It's the whole five fingers on a hand thing. Mm-hmm. They'll have to work together. So if they're eating, eating thick and lifting heavy together and, uh, you know, going to movies and all that kind of stuff, that's a good thing. Yeah, and that's something we had heard from the players in the summer about how Osmus kind of broke up those team fractions if you will but now we're kind of seeing that come to fruition Uh, scott on youtube says what kind of production have you seen out of connor murphy in practice he looked good last night yeah he what he had you said what were we talking about he had a tapeworm last year or something it kind of slowed him down but i he's someone i mentioned i think through the offseason that i thought he'd be uh you know outside of christian rector and you know and drake jackson was going to be a stud but he was going to be someone that's in that rotation so it's good to see him in there getting in some different you know in some different spots getting some production um, it's, it's part of that eight-man front that I think that Clancy has confidence in all those guys. So once he, like, earned that confidence from, from Clancy and earned that trust, then you were going to see him play. And I think now you're going to see, you know, he's a big kid, six seven or whatever he is. He's, that helps a lot, and his length and everything. And he can get in there and disrupt things, and I think we, he did that yesterday. I think it goes back to Osmus again because he had, the, he had the stomach ailment last year, and he lost some weight, and he lost some strength especially. And that's one of the things Chad Kay said is that since he's gotten here, he's gotten a lot stronger. He's put it in the work, and you're seeing it work out for him. And I know it's been a relief for him to an extent, too, because he's been here three years and right. hasn't been able to produce much of anything. He's him been like, and, like, Alawali Batiku, you know, they're, like, sort of like, what now you, who's – You mean who? the na- national sack leader, yes. Alawali Batiku? Yeah. But both those guys <laughs> were like – we, we probably answered that question on this show many times. Like, when are those two guys – like, it was like those two guys together, you know? Now they're both doing well. Yeah, and I think that his versatility adds another element to them, too, that they can move him inside when they want to. Because he's kind of moved around, you know, trying to find where his actual niche is on this defensive line and not being able to get a lot of reps. But because he's moved around, now you can move him, you can bump him inside when you go into those pass rush situations, and that gives you an, uh, just another weapon that can, can rush into passer. Yeah, his frame is, I mean, if you put muscle on that frame, which I think Aaron Osmus did, I mean, it's, you know, it's impressive at six foot seven plus the mullet, you know, come on. <laughs> the mullet power. So, so last week he, he said, uh, uh, when I talked to him, you know, we get in the rotation for the first time, he said they're, they're trying to have a party in the backfield. I said, oh, so it's party in the back for you and party in the backfield for the defense line. Beautiful. He's Beautiful. like, yeah, that's it. Nice. <laughs> well done, shotgun. Uh, we have a Facebook question from Randy who says, why do you think USC has had such a hard time on the road? What do you think it will take to turn that around? It's not easy to play on the road. I mean, I think Oregon, we've seen them do great at home and, and do crappier on the road. Um, yeah, you know, it's it's just one of those things. We'll, they're going to have some opportunities. Like I think Clay Hilton likes to call these things opportunities. Playing in Provo, not going to be easy. Playing in Seattle. Playing in South Bend, all those things aren't going to be easy. Those are great opportunities, and I think we've had some comments and things about this stuff. This is a schedule that if USC does go six and zero, they're like top three in the country. Like you, you you go from unranked to Mm -hmm. you're moving all the way up because everyone. There's not, you know, Washington doesn't didn't have that sort of schedule early on. They didn't have the big out of conference game. Oregon had a shot at at Auburn. They end up losing. Uh, Utah doesn't have that kind of out of conference uh, slate, but USC does. So. You go 6-0 and out of the gate with wins on the road at Notre Dame and BYU and, and Seattle, and you beat the division champ, Utah. You beat the, the Pac-12 North champ, the Pac-12 champion, and the Pac-12 South champion on that run, and you look good doing it. Yeah, they, they're going to be – they'll be talking about playoffs at that point. Like, there will be, a, you know, a favor to get in the playoffs if they start 6-0. and So that's a good – it's a good opportunity, but you got to play well on the road. Yeah. It's the reverse Matt Barkley senior year. 
when you go from <laughs> first to first to last you preseason number one to six and six. Yeah. I think I'm it's sure, also I'm sure he appreci- if it's just his birthday too. I'm sure he appreciates appreciates that. I think it also goes back to the mental toughness thing when you and the Texas game when you have a hundred thousand plus fans cheering of your demise. Of course, if you're not resilient, yeah, that's gonna demotivate you for sure. Yeah. Uh, Antonio on YouTube says, "Am I blind or am I still waiting for Pala EA to dominate? What are your guys' thoughts on his performance in the last two games?" I, there was a lot of questions about his his performance in this game and. Maybe he might have missed a couple tackles. He missed one on the very first play, which was still a tackle for loss, and he missed one on a screen play, I think. Yeah. But when you see him come off the edge and just fly, he ran around the edge and got one hit on the backside, I think, for a tackle for loss. One time he came from the backside and they ran away from him, and he chased down a play completely from the other side. You know, it just showing his speed and his ability to come off the edge. I thought he made some really nice plays out there. Uh, you know, I, I think that obviously there's still things to clean up for him. And guess what? It's his, what, third career start yeah. so far? I mean, there's a lot of expectations for him because he was, you know, a top five prospect coming out in his recruiting class. But I think that he's just con- going to continue to get better. And I think he's a lot better when he's attacking than when he's reading and reacting. So they got to figure out how they balance that as a defense. And it was the Fresno State game just a fluke and, you know, he just had a really bad game? Or is it, you know, do we need to put him on the edge and have him attack more than having him trying to drop back and try to read whether or not it's a, a run or a pass? Yeah, he had three assisted tackles and no solos and a half, half a tackle for loss. So, you know, I think you want to see some more production uh, from that spot. But I didn't see the kind of misses and stuff as much as, as the Fresno State game, at least this one. But I got to go back. I'm not finished my rewatch yet, but. Did John Houston have many tackles? I think that the the linebackers were kind of negated in this game. To an yeah, Houston, uh, Houston had five. He had four solo tackles and and one. Uh, but it was Hufunga and Greg Johnson. Hufunga had ten. Greg Johnson had six, and uh, Jay Tufeli had six. So I mean, you don't necessarily want your safeties and corners that have a bunch of tackles. But well, part of the reason is because of the way Stanford plays, they were playing everything pretty. They were playing a lot of bunch formations, tight formations that the two outside defenders became Tal- – Talano Hufunga basically became an extra linebacker. So did Greg Johnson at times when there wasn't a uh, an extra receiver on his side. So those guys were playing off the edges, and they were getting a lot of – you know, USC was able to get a lot of tackles coming off the edge and kind of funneling things inside, I think, in this game. I think that's part of the reason why the middle linebackers didn't necessarily have a huge game. Uh, we're getting a lot of BYU questions about what to expect for that. I just want to say we're mostly going to save those for Thursday's preview show, Thursday night at 7 p.m., same place wherever you're watching this. You can come find us there. Uh, let's go to a question on YouTube from Kay. He says, although the new offense is refreshing, is it too simple for a good defense to plan against an attack? No, I mean, we said I don't think it's too simple. It's, it's nice. The simplicity helps a guy like Keaton Slovis come in and, and execute it. But like Shotgun said earlier, there's wrinkles, there's different things you can do. It looked different than what we saw against Fresno State, you know, even early on. So I think you can make adjustments to the defense that you're playing. So I, I wouldn't say it's too simple and a defense would just, you know, a good defense would just shut it down. One example that I'll give is Amon Ra St. Brown told me that when he went out the first touchdown, Keaton Slow's first touchdown pass, he said they had worked on a formation. He said when he lined up and saw the leverage of the, the cornerback that was playing him, he said he knew it was a big play. Those type of things tell you that you can do things formationally, that you can you know do different you know designs of the same play to be able to to beat a defense. Yeah. And, and I think that that's what they're going to be able to do. They're going to switch things up, but still run similar plays. And also just the fact that the 
the mantra is run to grass. You know, it's not, hey, you run a curl and you sit there. It's you move around and wherever the defenders are not at. Yeah. And it seems simple. But, but that's an adjustment on every play, yeah. essentially. You're, you're adjusting to where the defense is. So you're trying, it's, it's a way to scheme receivers open, and we haven't seen that around. They're getting open help, with help from the scheme. There, uh, the play that I talked about earlier with Tyler Vaughns where Paulson Debo's all over him. Slovis beats the beats him there, and he runs up the sideline. Drake London was in the slot and actually ran up, and instead of just running straight, you know, it was a streak. That's what he, he was running a vertical route. He started bending his route out because the defender in front of him went to take the running back. And so, actually, if he'd have thrown it there, he it probably would have ended up around the same yardage because of the yards after catch that Tyler Vaughn's got. But there was a window there that Keaton could have thrown as well because of the way he bent the route and kind of moved outside because safety couldn't get over it quickly to him. Whereas he runs straight to him, you know, he's, the def defender's already there. Yeah. Uh, in the same vein, Beck Stein asked on YouTube, uh, what happens when teams have a lot of film on this offense? How does that change how they approach uh, an air raid Harrell offense? Well, they might have film on dudes, but they're like, we don't have anyone that could cover Amon Ross St. Brown, Michael Pittman, and Tyler Vaughn's. Like, that's the that's the or beauty Drake, of this. Like, or, or. Right. I mean, they, they're, you know, oh, what happens with Stephen Carr? We have a lot of film on Stephen Carr, but we don't have a linebacker that isn't going to miss the first tackle and we're going to have to get, you know, tackle him with a swarm. I mean, that's, that's the beauty of this. Like you're going to put good athletes in good positions where before it was, you had good, good athletes that had to just go out and make hero plays. That, that's my opinion, at least. I mean, Stephen Carr comes off the edge. You know, you've seen that Stanford is running man. So Michael Pittman comes in and crack back blocks on the linebacker. Well, the cornerback goes with him. So now the whole edge is wide open. That's a schematic play, and Austin Jackson does a good job of reaching, and that's why Stephen Carr had the corner. Now, because of his speed and his burst, that's why he was able to beat the cornerback from getting back out, and he ran it in for an easy touchdown. But that's something you, you know, is schematically there because you see the defense is running man over and over and over. So you say, okay, well, we're going to run it to that side. We're going to bring our – instead of our, our wide receiver just blocking the guy on the corner. Just run him to the other he, side. Exactly. He's going <laughs> to run inside, but he's going to block the linebacker as well. So he essentially takes out two defenders yeah. with, with one wide receiver. And obviously – you're you not catching car when he got and you, and you don't want to you don't want a blindside block by Michael Pittman if any receiver is going to hit you. So the, the the linebacker goes, okay, it's run. Oh, and then he gets hit by Michael Pittman. So uh, I thought that was a very nice nice design on that play as well. There's things you can do just based on what you see the defense do, and then especially running the grass, you'll you'll find ways to, to get open. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go to our callers and then probably come back and do some rapid fire. So shotgun. Yeah, I know it's crazy. Everyone. Thank you for all your questions. And it's amazing. Comments and we had over 500 people on YouTube watching. I know it's crazy. Um, so Jeez. let's go to our callers. Thank you for waiting. You are live on tunnel vision. Hey, how's it going fellas? Ryan, how you doing? Doing all right. Um, so I was just calling because, um, yeah, it's a great win, great execution. Um, you know, I, I give much credit to the coaching staff for putting what they put together and for preparing Keaton for it. Uh, Graham Harrow, he looks like a great guy, not throwing any shade at T. Martin, but we are 2-0, and, and he is 0-2. So, um, I do believe that's shade, um, but okay. Yeah, the definition of shade. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but I just want to say um, – you know, it was a great win. You know, I'm all for it. I think uh, winning cures, you know, and helps a lot. You know, it keeps everybody happy. But my thing is, can we be consistent? You know, Clay Helen has showed, you know, flashes here and there in his whole tenure here. 
can we be consistent? Can we keep it up is a big question. And so, you know, I hope we do. I think we're going in the right direction. Um, but, you know, consistency. And yeah. one last thing I can say is yeah. adjustments. Um, I haven't seen USC do adjustments, especially coming out into the second half in a very long time. The adjustments were a big Pete Carroll thing. And I feel like we did do some adjustments, even though they did get a few uh, third down conversions. But I felt like overall, in general, we did we did do some adjustments, and that's totally um, something that we haven't seen in a long time. Yeah. And oh, sorry, cool. I needed him. <laughs> that's all right. Thanks for the call. Uh, yeah, no, I think consistency is key. Uh, and a big question mark still. We don't know. I mean, that that was one really good yeah. game. Um, as far as adjustments, we kind of talked about that a little bit, but. Uh, third down conversions, USC only gave up four of 11, none in the first half. Uh, so that was kind of a weird thing where Stanford was getting success on second down and not necessarily getting through third downs a lot. They didn't, I don't think they had a third down until the second quarter. And Stanford comes out in the second half, converts three third downs in a row on a long drive that didn't, that didn't bear any fruit. They missed the field goal. So they, USC held them on the, the fourth third down. But people, fans were on Twitter were getting a little upset that they gave up, you know, third down, third, some long third downs on that. But overall, three of the, the four third downs that they gave up came on a drive that no points were scored. So I think overall it was a pretty good effort. But yeah, I think you got to show some adjustments. I think they did a good job of that. And consistency is going to be a wait and see sort of thing. And can you be consistent week after week? They were really excited. Uh, Keely, were you in the, the press conference at all? Yes, I was. You could hear the music blare. Like, I mean, that's a classic win thing, yes, but they were excited. It was very excited, and okay, but are you going to be able to keep that up? That was a big win. We, we even when Pete Carroll, the Pete Carroll days where USC was winning, you know, eleven games a year, it wasn't easy each and every week to go out and you go out and lose to an Oregon State or a Stanford, a big upset, things like that. That can happen. So they could get really good, and there's like rolling. But then, do you like? Let your guard down against Arizona or something. Like you have to, you have to be consistent and keep it up yeah. every week. We're not that we're not to that point where like they're going to be destroying people. But even if you get to that point, like wow, they're destroying everybody, you still have to keep it up every yeah, week. Yeah, to maintain you know? it. Um, thank you for the call. Hey, just a general reminder, just for callers, can you please keep your your questions brief? Uh, we just want to keep it rolling. Yeah, and there's a lot of other and people mute your, behind don't, you. We don't want to hear your computer or whatever you're listening to. Do <laughs> you tell them, Ryan? Uh, let's go to our next caller. Hello, you are on live with television. Chris from Delaware, Ryan. You are. Uh, this is your biggest fan. How are you, sir? Hey, Chris. Thanks. Good, buddy. Hey, I gotta tell you, horizontal stripes very slimming. Keep that. <laughs> yeah. Keep that in mind. I had you a lot of fantastic. Rib. I was eating thick in the press box yesterday with a rack mm. of ribs, so I, I need some. some oh, there you go. Well, yeah. you look great. You look great, baby. So I gotta tell you, I'm. I've been excited as I've been in a long time, and I would have never thought it would have been from a guy named Keaton Slovis. Because the first time I heard that name, I wanted to contact the FBI because I thought it was a Lithuanian arms dealer. But it turns out it was just a kid from Arizona. Uh, he threw in tight windows. He's got the arm strength. Uh, what people aren't talking about, apparently, rumor has it at halftime, he turned Gatorade into wine, which was pretty cool. I just wish he would, you know, lay hands on uh, EA Paliotto or whatever because he is a... Uh, I don't see what you guys see. I think he's not doing so great. My question is for Shotgun. I know you've talked a little bit about the O-line tonight, but can you just be a little more specific about certain guys and, and how they're all doing? And everybody have a great night. Phenomenal, phenomenal show. Thank you, Goodbye. Chris. Thanks, Chris. 
wine in the in the locker room. Chris That's sounds like he might be related somehow to Jeremiah from Snake Lake. Not sure about Are that. They're cousins or something. Maybe no. they're cousins. Uh, I, I if. Wine in the locker room probably wouldn't be a good idea at halftime. Maybe you should just turn the water into Gatorade or something. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I think the offensive line, the, the biggest thing is they're playing together. I think Brett Nealon is actually a guy we haven't talked much about, but I think he's doing a really good job in getting blocks, especially getting to the second level on some of the blocks when they're trying to run through the middle. Uh, he's been pretty impressive. Drew Richmond, who I w was down on after seeing fall camp, you know, I expected more out of him. I think he's been really solid for him. And I think his experience, I think, plays up. And seeing him get excited after a couple of the late touchdowns was kind of interesting to me. You know, he was running over to the fans and throwing his arms up, you know, kind of separate from other people. But I think he's buying into the rest of the culture that the team seems yeah. to be having together. So I think that's a positive. And I think Plus his old team's 0-2, and, and he's now 2-0. That's also true. True. 0-2 with bad losses. But I think the left side of the line is their strength. Those guys on the left side with Austin Jackson, Elijah Vera Tucker can really – push the pile, can, you know, are doing a really good job of getting outside to block on some runs as well, whether it be getting to the second level or just walling off to allow that allow to, the running backs to get off the edge. I, I think that there's a lot of things that are positive about that group, and as long as they keep working together, that's the biggest thing. Yeah. Thanks, Thank Chris. Thank you for the call, Chris. Let's go to our final caller in the queue. Hello, you're live on Tunnel Vision. Yeah, this is JB and uh, the OC. Um Three quick ones. I don't want to keep it uh, short, but um, uh, one, uh, listening to you guys, thought it's worth talking about the sometimes the benefits of low expectations. We had it in 2013. We had it at the beginning of the Carroll era, where you know things really aren't going great, and when you have some good things happen, you get a lot more excitement than you do when you're expecting to blow everybody out, and you have a little bit of a letdown, and then a you know. A, tight win against a really good team just as ho-hum. So that's one thing. Number two, uh, I don't know, I came in a little bit late, but I'm thinking that we need to uh, uh, do, give a shout-out to Marquis Stepp and hope that uh, the coaches figure out a way to get him some reps. I think the other two guys are obviously doing well too, but I do think that Marquis uh, brings something different, um, and I think he can get some you know, yards uh, when others can't, uh, when the going gets tough, and as the games where game wears on, uh, that's going to pay benefit. Number three, just want a quick comment on Keaton. I hadn't obviously seen him. Uh, you know, we didn't get a chance to watch practices or anything, but you know, hadn't heard uh, much about his uh, mobility. I thought early uh, in the game uh, that you know he didn't do it a ton, but he did it enough that that created some opportunities for him that you didn't see in JT. I think that's one of the reasons why people. We're high on somebody like uh, Jack Sears. Um, you know, it's enough to get the defense tired, get them thinking, and uh, gives the quarterback a little bit more opportunities to stand back there because now the defense is not quite sure if they come after him hard, if he's going to gash him for three, four, five yards, et cetera. So anyway, those are my quick comments. Uh, have at it, guys. Thanks, JB. Uh, yeah, no way to, you know, the, no better way to lower expectations than go five and seven with a really good team roster. So uh, that helps. Uh, Marky Step, I think he had 11 yards a carry. He had three carries at the end of the game. He had like a 20-yarder or something. It wasn't wasn't too bad for I, him. I, I'm still not sold on getting him carries to take away from Vi or Steven yeah. Carr. That's I think Carr needs more. I think Carr needs I more. I think Carr needs more. Yeah. I, I, are you going to steal them away from Vi, though, to get Marky Step carries? I mean, maybe maybe you have him at – maybe there's a – enforcer package or something that you put in but enforcer that's not package. the thing is that's not 
that's that's the gumbo offense where you yeah. have a certain package that does that instead of the air raid is you know super simple. You, you your packages you know is is bringing an extra tight end in type of thing. You know you do some two tight end things. It's not having a three or four offense extra offensive linemen in there or anything like that or bringing Brandon Peely in as a fullback, which we saw last year at, at times. Those are fun things to do. And that would get Marquis step involved, but that's not what the offensive identity yeah. of this team is: is to stick with the air raid and do that, even when it's fourth and one, and you throw the ball on the, you know, throw a slant to Michael Pittman. You know, th- these are offensive tenets of the air raid rather than what was complained about a lot last year was the fact that they ha- they would use a lot of different packages and stuff, but they wouldn't play on each other, and that's why yeah. it was considered the gumbo offense. I think the fact that they're sticking with it, especially after last year. If it wasn't just after last year, I think you would have maybe a different tone about well, the air raid can do some different things if they would just do this. But I think it, it's kind of the similar thing when Clay Helton was hired. Part of the reason why he was hired is because he was the adult in the room versus what had just happened before that. Yes. Part of the reason why I don't think you want to do too too many of those type things is because of what just happened last year. Yeah. All righty. Thank you for the call. Uh, let's do some rapid fire. I know a lot of people are waiting. What for was the, the second part of that? There was a third part was about Keaton Slovis, but I don't remember. Oh. But we, yeah. I'm moving us along. There was yeah. There was we have stuff things. to get to. That Sorry was, about that. That was too long, JB. Sorry. Uh, Mike says we lacked an identity with T. Martin as offensive coordinator. Does USC now have a true identity? I think so. I, yeah. I think I just answered that before. No Very question. true. Ide- yeah. I'm loading the question. True identity. Sorry. No. And and. Great job. But don't. I don't blame T. Martin. It was not. He didn't bring in some offense from outside. Like, here's my gumbo offense. There was this gumbo was created, and he was like one of the chefs of it. He wasn't the 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 head chef. They were everyone was sharing in it, which was part of the problem. Like, this is hit. Like this, if it doesn't work, you know who to blame. The pot was already boiling when T. Martin came in. He's like, let me try to add a couple. Get a spoon and a couple of spices, and like he put his yeah. Uh, if you, you can blame Graham Harrell if the offense doesn't work because this is his. Like, yeah. this, he owns this one. Yeah. Jay Johnson says, if USC wins on, at BYU, does the home game versus Utah reach a sellout? Now, what I'm curious about is how much does Friday impact this? Because that definitely hurts fans. <sighs> it's a Friday game. Uh, they said there were 63,000 at the game, but there looked like there was a lot of open seats. But it was pretty good. I thought it was a decent crowd. 3-0 and with Utah in, if they're still undefeated, I think there's potential for a – I mean, definitely the biggest crowd of the year so far. I think you guys should take off work and come on Friday if that's the case. Yeah. It's a big deal. Make that's a, a, that's a huge event. game. We've been saying that's the most important game. If USC goes in that one 3-0, and it's definitely the most important game. So. Yes. But not everyone is fortunate enough to just take off a day of work shotgun. But if you can, you should I'm do just it. saying you guys should do it. Yeah. Make it a full day out of the game. Um, Should be a really good we, game. We will, because that's, that's, that's our a, job. But that's, that's our job, true. I'll be working through the day. Uh, so Kyle Trojan says, if USC is successful this season, is it Clay Helton that gets the credit or Graham Harrell? Depends how they look. Uh, but Clay Helton had to make changes. So Yeah, I think you got to – I know people don't want to, but I think you got to give him some credit for the fact that he made the changes. He decided to step away from the offense. Yeah. That may be the best thing that's, been, that's happened for the offense. But the person who convinced him to do that might be, you know, the person that deserves the raise, whoever <laughs> that is. Maybe that's Lynn Swan. I don't yeah. know. But, you know, th- I, you got to give him a little bit of credit for changing what was happening last year. Now, still, they didn't go the full Notre Dame. That keeps getting referenced on the broadcast and stuff, you know, with, with what the, the Kelly was able to do everything. Yeah. USC didn't do that. They kept some stuff. But the changes they have made have been positive so far. Yeah. Uh, we got a tweet from Luke. 
who says, can you all compare Keaton Slovis's field and sideline leadership style to starting quarterbacks of the past, JT, Sam, Cody, Matt B., etc.? Hmm. I think it's, I mean, he's like Sam Darnold. JT had a much similar um, appearance as Sam Darnold like on the Darnold, sideline because yeah, Darnold, Darnold was a quieter guy. And so when people were like, well, JT, you, you can't have a good quarterback that, that looks like JT on the sideline. That's when I go, well, Sam Darnold did yeah. pretty darn well. This is Sam Darnold at the sideline all the time. Just, just holding his oh, pads. Oh, man, I yeah. forgot about that. Yeah. yeah. He just would do this. That was for, the Cody, too, the Cody Kessler. Yeah. And um, Kessler wasn't a very vocal guy as much. He was more. He was kind of in between. But, you know, I, I don't think he was a huge uh, motivator on the sidelines like that. Slovis is, is part of it. You know, he has to step back sometimes, too, and, and calm down. I, I think there's that, some emotions there. Yeah. And, and but I think he does a good job of kind of being in between and kind of ra- going in between. He doesn't have, you don't have to be even kill all the time, but you need to be even kill in the right moments. I thought it was very hilarious. His first touchdown pass. He throws it to Amon Ra. Obviously, the, the linemen get down there and celebrating with Ra. Slovis runs down. He, he yeah. celebrates with Brett Nealon first, but then he just like can't get in the huddle to get to Ra. Like he's like running around the outside trying he's to like, get in. Hey, I'm here. Yeah, I, it was, was kind of like, it was, it was kind of <laughs> humorous just watching him try to. Like, and finally, when he got to Ra, you know, really both of them were really excited and everything. But it was, yeah. it was humorous watching him try to run around the pile to get there. The only thing that I've seen that reminded me of a. a past quarterback is that I remember at the Stanford game in 2016 uh, Max Brown when things went wrong kind of went to the O-line and and went to that huddle and kind of hyped them up and we saw Keaton do that uh, in his first game uh, against Fresno State once JT went down he came to the O-line huddle was like hey guys we're gonna do this let's go and so that was the only thing that I saw as a comparison but uh, yeah let's go to a tweet from Jason got tweets we're doing all kinds of he says is this offense if this offensive trend continues, does Graham Harrell stay at USC? Good chance. I mean, I don't. There's. I mean, this is like a long. But yeah, he's having success. Uh, I mean, the thing would be, it's not like you would want to get rid of him. Like, hey, this offense works. It would be, does someone hire him away? And does, does a Cliff Kingsbury thing happen? And like some NFL team wants to uh, hire him away. I don't know. But yeah, that, I mean, that's so. It's game two. You know, like. Yes, he could get hired away or whatever, but it's a that's a long hypothetical. Yeah, way way long time from now. You never know what's going to happen. You know, you never know if an NFL coach is going to come and take your offense coordinator after he fails as a head coach. Yeah, <laughs> sure, yeah, that happens. A hippo says, "Why are the tight ends not being targeted?" Because Chrome Hook was used as a blocker primarily in the first game because you have like 92 wide receivers who are really good at catching the ball. Yes. Um, and your tight end needs to be both a pass catcher and a, but a blocker first in this offense. You know, they're being used more for blocking, so they need to be able to block first. And that's not Josh Follow's strength. He, he missed on some blocks in the first game. Uh, I think that's part of it. If you, you get to a team and it's a dynamic, you can get a dynamic matchup. That's when maybe you'll start looking at those guys more, but they're more of a, you know, a, a second, third, fourth option rather than a primary option on any pass play. Yeah, they had and, a couple of plays where they had two tight ends in, uh, but it just, it just, they weren't a big part of the, the game plan. I mean, and they be, spread Stanford out and they used the wide receivers because that was was working. Yeah, particularly this game, that was the game plan. It yeah. wasn't to use uh, tight ends. Their, their usage in this game was much lower than it w- right. than will be. You uh, might see it first. a lot against BYU. It's just it's there, but it it's, hasn't really been utilized yet. Yeah, just depends on the team we're playing. Um, let's go to Michael, who says, "What do you think of Helton's aggressive fourth and one call? Same aggressive call as last week to finish the opponent. I like it." Yeah, I think it was a different situation, but I, yeah. I, I like that call there. And then, you know, 
because Stanford was still going to play a lot of man, they, they probably had a pretty good chance of stopping the run in that play. But Pittman just runs the grass, runs a little slant. It was pitch and catch. It was about as simple as it gets. So that was well identified and, and well executed. Yeah, you've got a, a pretty young experience-wise DB on the other side, cornerback, and he, he got eight up. Yeah. Um, Eric says, nice to see quick passes. Do you feel like this is something that has been missing? Yeah. <laughs> yes. You guys are using the middle of the field. Middle of the like. field. I think there was more crossing routes and stuff in this game, or a little bit, I think. But um, I mean, it's just Sam Darnold used the middle of the field when he had Daniel Amore Bebe. They just haven't yeah. had those targets and haven't been willing. I mean, Amon Ross St. Brown was in the middle of the field for catches last year as well. Uh, I think that the offense is just – they're just attacking and attacking rather than sitting back and trying to run the ball twice and then it doesn't work and trying to throw it deep. I feel like just the attack mode, and that's the fourth and one call as well. They're just constantly attacking. Right. They're going to put pressure on an opposing yep. defense, and that's that's what you want. Austin brings up a good point, counterpoint to you, Shotgun. He said people would take the day off on Friday, but you can't tailgate on campus. So why do that? It's a good point. Ooh. You can go downtown LA Live. Grab you some drinks, whatever you, whatever you choose to do. Grab some food, whatever your yeah, pregame ritual is. Or, uh, you can do that as well. Stop by Trader Joe's, pick up some fun stuff. And, hey, yeah. we're not getting sponsored for that. <laughs> oh, that's all right. No, it's still. That's our friends. We love Trader Joe's. Uh, we had multiple comments wanting us to comment on what's happening over at UCLA and what <sighs> we think uh, Chip Kelly's up to these days. Oh, my days. God. Okay, so for me, I just, you know, I thought it was a great hire. Chip Kelly coming back. I was like, this is good. You'd want to hire a guy like this. It's been a freaking disaster, and I think they're going to have to fire him. Talk to college football at, at the end of the season. Who are they going to beat? Like, they're going to play Oklahoma, and Oklahoma's going to name the score. So they're going to go 0 for 3 in their out-of-conference. In conference, they play Oregon State. They could win that game. I mean, this could be a 2-1 or, dare I say it, Zero win UCLA dun, dun, dun. team. I mean, that's what this looks like right now. Now, they could turn things around and start playing better. Theo Howard's out. Darnay Holmes is out. But they, they had Joshua Kelly back in this one. They should have won that game. They did not. Um, it's not looking good. Uh, it, it's looking very bad for UCLA. Now, USC fans are going to have a lot of sympathy. They're going to scratch their head even more that they lost to this team last year who won three games. But it's it, – I it, I. I was on the Chip Kelly bandwagon. I'm like completely off it now. It's not working. I was concerned when he came back to UCLA how they how he would adjust because it seemed like his last maybe two years in the NFL he stopped being as innovative. Like it yeah. was basically the same plays over and over. Now against USC, I liked the things they did schematically and the way they were able to take advantage of some some advantages that they had or that they created. Uh, so I was kind of positive going into this year. I have not watched either. The, oh, I watched a little bit of the Cincinnati game, but I didn't get to watch any of the same. I just looked at the score and was like, whoa, that, that's unique. Okay. Uh, so we'll see what they do. I mean, I'm sure the USC fans would be really disappointed if U UCLA somehow goes winless. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be heartbroken. But there's, I mean, that's on the table. Just, to, just you know. Crazy. Just watch out. Crazy, watch them just crazy. beat Oklahoma this weekend. <laughs> Throw a it's only, I think it's under 20. I think the spread is like 19 or something. It started like 17 and 19. It's like, give me those. Yeah, yeah. I will take those points. Kevin on Facebook. I mean, uh, I will take Oklahoma and cover that, you know, cover the spread. 
Kevin on Facebook says you mentioned how great USC, how great of a roster USC has. You also mentioned starting six and zero would be difficult, even though they have a better roster. If they have the talent, why do you believe they cannot or will not show it or fully bring it to bear? Even if you have the talent, beating teams that are close, like Washington's close, Notre Dame's close. Like, say you have a fifty-five percent chance to win based on talent. It's still like, if you do that three times in a row, Utah. Washington and Notre Dame, I mean, I'd say you're going to probably lose one of those games or two, or two of those. I mean, you could lose them all three. So just because you you have that talent doesn't mean you're going to win. We haven't seen them. We saw them put it all together against Stanford. You got to keep doing it. But just even with, you know, with Pete Carroll, like you have the big advantage in all these. If you, you have a 75% chance to win three, four games in a row, odds are you're going to lose one of those games. You know, just if, you Wait, know. What percentage chance did he have against uh, Stanford in 2007? When like, they were a like, forty-point yeah, favorite, that's like a ninety-nine percent chance to win the game and lost that game. So. Consistency, and yeah. you know, football can be a fickle game. You, know, you turn yeah. the ball over, suddenly things are a lot different. Yeah. Whether, you, regardless of the talent level of the opponent. Yeah, and USC had all that talent last year. They were still the number four ranked roster in the country, and they went five and seven. So, but with the coaching, it looks like now you're utilizing that talent better. At least they have for this last game. Do it a couple more games in a row, and I think you're going to see uh, you know, something different. We'll look at, hey, there's a real good chance at that. But right now, at 2-0, and it's a lot harder to say, oh, yeah, they're going to go undefeated in their first six games. That's just, I think that's unlikely. But, you know, they keep playing like this. They got a, real, they got a shot at it. Uh, Shotgun, any rapid-fire questions that stood out to you? Uh, there, a couple of comments. Man, Tyler Vaughn needs to, to spend more time on the jugs machine. First off, the the one that was in the end zone, that was a great pass breakup. Yeah. You know, the, the the DB raked down on his right arm, so he wasn't able to use both hands as he was trying to do. The other one, I, when I went back, I thought it was a drop, the the one on third down. I thought it was a drop initially. But when I went look, look looked back at it, the throw was behind him, and he tried to go, basically tried to reach around Paulson and uh, Paulson and Debo, and that's just going to be difficult to do. I found it interesting, just talking about receivers and Debo, is how they moved him. He started on Tyler Vons after Tyler Vons had the big game last week. Then he got shifted to Amon Ross St. Brown. And then I think he even ended up on Michael Pittman at one point. Like, he was being moved around from outside yeah. to inside, which tells you what they think of him at Stanford. They're trying to shut somebody down. USC was still able to pick on him and everybody else. So yeah. I, he was really good, and he had the one pass breakup on the Josh Follow, but – USC still picked on him some. Yeah. You know, they were able to get multiple catches against him. So that tells you what they were able to do. The Tyler Vaughn's catch on the sideline, if you want to talk about Tyler Vaughn's jugs machine, Ooh, that was dude, that impeccable. Was I mean, I'm and, sick a, of the, and a great throw. I'm sick of the Tyler yeah. Vaughn's hate. Like, what is going on here? Like, you've had two receivers go over 100 yards this year. You know who they were? Both Tyler Vaughn. So shut up. <laughs> He's my guy. Right. Coming yeah. out hot. How about the contributions of Drake London last night over the middle? You know, I think Drake London is a guy with a ton of upside and is still just being scratched at the surface of it right now. He's also going to be on the basketball team later. Uh, the basketball team had a lot of good recruits as well at the, at the game. The basketball team, I know Ryan don't want to hear this, but the basketball Shotgun. team has had the number one, the number three, and the number five prospects all visit the last two weekends. That's, that's really impressive for, for that program. Uh, uh, but Drake London will be a part of that program later, but he – if, if he's not too good on the football team because he's looking really good. He's earned two straight starts now. He's got three catches in that game. I think that 
He's, he's in the slot right now, but he's a big receiver, so you can do some different things with him. He's agile enough that, that he's fun to watch there, and uh, we'll see where his future goes. It's actually been detrimental to Bayless Jones because Bayless Jones hasn't gotten many reps because yeah. uh, London has been taking those. Yeah. Jones didn't have a catch, huh? He didn't. Uh, uh, no, he didn't. He, he played a little bit but didn't have a catch. Yeah. Uh, we have a – oh, sorry. sorry. We have a question from our buddy Allen, who I called Ellen last week. He <laughs> says, okay, here's a serious question. Did Shaka notice any interesting formations or personnel choices this game? Thanks. Ellen in St. Louis. Yeah, uh, uh, Ellen. You said he, Ellen. He, he he wrote it. Oh, he joke. wrote it. Yeah. Uh, j- on defense, uh, one of the things I noticed was Kanai Malga. You know, they were using some kind of four-three over where they had four down linemen like they had been using, and using him on the end of the line to basically face up with the tight end. And how about that guy just hitting people, it, just destroying people at times. Not only the, on the uh, on the punt return, but also on a kickoff later, he destroyed a guy as well. Yeah. He's, he was bringing the wood, railing, go forth, and that's. Also, the thing that whole competition is the be, you know breeds brings out the best in people. Those guys aren't getting a ton of reps. So you, what are they going to do when they do get in there? They're yeah. going to try to destroy someone. Now he did have a hands of the face penalty, but besides that, that was all right. Yeah. But I, I think that, that what they were using him on the end of the line that was something that was unique. Uh, yeah, I think that was probably the the one thing and using him instead of a nickelback, and that was partially because of the tight end usage that Stanford does. And then another time, Isaiah Polamau ended up playing cornerback. Yeah, I saw that too. That was interesting. Because uh, they had basically no receivers in the game, all tight ends, and I don't remember if there was a fullback or not in the game with a running back. And Chase Williams was also in the game, and he was playing the safety spot with Isaiah Polamau moved out to the to, to corner with someone split out. Yeah, and we mentioned too there was a couple plays where they used two tight ends. But Oh, on offense, they, yes, USC used two tight ends. More two-back sets this game as well. Uh, some different things as far as where the, the – receivers are lining up you know as far as their depth there was one time there was a staggered there's three guys on one side there's one guy on the line one guy off the line and one guy even farther off the line so you know those are based on the routes they're trying to run things but those are just some, a couple things that kind of caught my eyes i was re-watching the game quickly we'll nice. see when i go full bore later yeah make sure you watch out for the film study that shotgun does it's really great he breaks down the whole game in little tidbits that he yeah. finds which is really interesting uh shotgun mentioning you again any uh, rapid fire questions. Is it me or does Talanohu Funga have a discipline problem? Too many personal fouls. This is the other one I wanted to get to. Just people being called out, which I, I don't agree with. The, the personal foul call he got late in the game was because I, I don't remember who. I think Drake Jackson got shoved in the back when he was already like halfway on the ground and he responded and pushed the guy back, which wasn't really that much. And he still got a personal foul for that. Um, I don't think that he has, if you know him as a person, if you've talked to him, yeah. That's not really his personality. No. He's he's kind of soft spoken actually, but you know, he brings you know brings the big stick when he comes up the first play of the game, he had a big hit near the sideline and he kinda he did kind of verbalize to the Stanford sideline like that's how it's gonna be the rest of the game. <laughs> Just letting you know now. If you're coming you're gonna run, this is what's gonna happen. Nice. Hufunga, right? That's yeah, Hufunga was. Yeah, to give you an idea about Hufunga, the game that he broke his collarbone, he was, like, really tired coming up the tunnel and shook every reporter's hand who waited for him to do the interview, and he did the interview even though he was, like, hurting. So he's a very calm, nice yeah. guy. So no discipline Not a discipline problem. Yeah. No. Uh, Jasper want to know, Ryan, mm. he said, bro, how's the wife doing after that 0-2 <laughs> start for Holy Tennessee? Cow. The losses at home to Georgia State and BYU. You should follow Ryan's her. wife, if you do not know, is a Tennessee alum. So Yes. Uh, follow rough. her on Twitter or Instagram. Like her, her rant after the Georgia State thing was better, but she's, she was uh, yeah just distraught. Uh, but I came down this morning 
Uh, I didn't get home till like three in the morning, you know, after the game, and I wake up a little late, slept in a little bit, which I don't normally do. Go down to sit down on my computer and start working, and then, but you know, about fifteen minutes I have to dedicate towards her explaining everything that went wrong <laughs> with the Tennessee game. So yeah, it's I, I live it. But uh, this time, if you can just get her to focus on what the other team did well, then you got a preview for this week's game. Yeah, they play sure. BYU. USC plays them this week. That's, I actually did call a couple of people uh, that I know from ten- their Tennessee fans to get their opinion on BYU. But we'll talk about that one on Thursday. Yep. Yeah, and we got a lot of questions pod. about that, as Keely said. So we got to like wrap this right up now. here pretty soon. So yeah, let's, let's knock it some out. Real people quick. had questions about Brew. He has been on the sideline. Um, other brew updates will be in the war room, which is what we put out on every Friday. Uh, it's exclusive information to Parasol subscribers. So look, yeah. at, look for that. Make sure you subscribe to uscfootball.com. This is a perfect time. The team's yep. doing well. We're putting out an absolute crap ton of content. <laughs> I wouldn't use it's, crap as the adjective. It's a ton a of content. And make sure we got our, our, our radio pregame show now. You know, KABC here in L.A. on 790 at midnight on Friday. We're going to try to move that around a little bit, but that's where it is now. But you can listen to the podcast for them. You're driving into the Coliseum. This is what you want to listen to. It's the best pregame show out there, I think. And we just created it. So wow. it's cool. Wow. That's a flex. Greg asked, do you feel the USC was going to get blown out when they were losing 17-3? What was kind of your uh, feeling there? Yeah. Yep. Thought it was over. It, it was Spiral Town. I was, you know, I didn't know if the defense was going to make any stops. And when they stopped the field to force the field goal, I got a little bit more confidence in USC kind of, you know, rallying a little bit because the offense had moved the ball so well that first drive. Yeah. Uh, and I thought that Tyler Vaughn's was a drop, so I felt like USC's moving the ball again. They're only stopping themselves. So I was cautiously optimistic that the offense will start going. I didn't know if the defense would stop anybody early because yeah. it was all the same plays that Fresno State had done. That's why I was like, I don't know if anything's being changed from last week here. But after the Valus Jones fumble, forcing that field goal was huge. So yeah, that was yeah, a definitely. big that, – that was really changed the whole momentum of the game. And something has to be said for just the attitude that Elijah Griffin had for every single play. Like, even though things looked kind of bad for the defense at that point in the game, he kept coming with fire and kind of had a spark on the defense, especially with that bat down for Colby Parkinson. But it, he just had a fire and was in every play and was just giving 100% effort. And, and that's something – you need when maybe the rest of the defense is a little slow or lagging uh, in the beginning. Yeah, he broke up two passes in that sequence to yep. force the field goal. Which yep. Another thing, Stanford was running the ball really well and using the screen game really well, and suddenly they start chucking deep balls. Yeah, another they thing love I didn't understand. Those fades. Like they just—they don't have our Sega Whiteside anymore. No. I know Parkinson's six seven. I love Parkinson. I've loved him since he was at Oaks Christian. Yeah, uh, you know I think he's probably the best tight, one of the best tight ends in the is country. He the love of your life, shotgun? No, I don't have a love of my life. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Even my wife would agree with that. Okay. Oh, wow. Sad. <laughs> um, but I just don't understand why you throw those balls up like that um, at that point when you're having so much success in other areas. Crank asks, where does Isefa go when he's ready? Uh, Pallier and Itiote is o- over-aggressive and misses on his targets. Can Isefa improve our lineback play? Now, if when Isefa comes back, ESF, it's, not, it's ESF and not Isefa. Yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, Isefa, when he comes back, it that is. gives you the option. Yes, it is. One of his relatives commented, it's Iosefa. We found out. Yeah. We've been saying Iosefa forever. For years, yes. Yeah. It's Iosefa. And he didn't correct us, which is kind of like Kanai when we asked him how to pronounce his name, and he was like, oh, however. I understand that. <laughs> oh, tell I us. understand that. You would. Uh, but you? Thanks, Kelly. I think, yeah. I think when Iosefa comes back, I think that just gives you another option. Now, if yeah. you go similarly 
similarly to how they use Kanai Malga in a specific package in this game based on what the other team was doing, you can use ESFA somehow. Or if one of the middle linebackers is not playing well, you have an option that you trust to go in there. We have a senior we can throw in there. Yeah. And it, it all depends on how quickly he gets back because if he doesn't come back quick enough and he, you know, he has a delay or a setback or anything, do you go – Maybe we'll play in four games and consider a red shirt as a possibility. That's another way they could look at it. So there's some there'll be options there. I think his re, him getting healthy gives them options. I think that's the biggest thing. Cool. And the last one I had was uh, from Jasper of the 2020 offensive line commitments. Who will come in and push for immediate playing time? I don't think there's that guy. And Not one of the, one of the things is you've got six guys right now, and five of them can return. Next year, Drew Richmond's the only one. You got six guys in rotation. So, will there be any immediate playing time? I don't. I don't know. Yeah. And and when's the last lineman you saw come in and play as a true freshman? A lot, you know, Austin like Jackson, Austin Jackson, and Andrew Voorhees. Yeah. But I don't see anyone in that group because of what is coming back as well. Yeah. Um, I Chuck, and you had a tweet during the game about how you thought EA was just better attacking rather than reading. Mm -hmm. Do you still agree with that whole assessment and how they're using him? Yeah, I, I just. I don't like I said earlier. I don't know if it was a one-game thing where he was just struggling with what Fresno State was doing, or if it's a consistent thing. Then you got to figure out how else we can use him. He's too dynamic of a playmaker, and especially when he hits somebody, he can create turnovers. He can create plays that way. He can create excitement too, uh, just with big hits and stuff. And he's so fast coming off the edge that if he's not able to read and react, you you got to find a way to move him somewhere where you can still use him because he, he's too dynamic of a playmaker when he's attacking to not be used at all. So, uh, But I, I think that he did fine this game. I didn't see any, like, there were any play actions where he went running the wrong direction or, you know, misdirection plays like there were in the Fresno State game. So I think he, he made some adjustments. He's got to tackle better, but that's, that's kind of a consistent thing over the entirety of college football and the NFL the first couple weeks. I think it's becoming more and more where you want to get your guys in space the first couple weeks because people struggle tackling because there's such a lack of it in the offseason. And I think that's, that harms USC. I think Dan talked a little bit about it in his most recent story is that, you know, are they just going to gradually get better and better because of how they've, you know, practiced in the fall camp as well. Um, JFZ8 really wants to know uh, why USC didn't blow out. Uh, Stanford, he says, uh, Helton always milks the game at the end. He says the top teams in the nation absolutely blow teams out. I just don't understand what of a 42 to 3 scoring run doesn't <laughs> work as a blowout in your mind. I just I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, 25 point win. That's a blowout. Are you upset that they, you know, they ran the ball and they got down to three, but they had a holding call? Oh, if they would have punched it in there, do you feel that much better if they score one more touchdown? I don't. Yeah, I don't understand that. Yeah. Don't you won by 25 it. and you were a one-point favorite? What was the, what was yeah, the final it was line? basically a pick'em. So you win by 25. That's a blowout. That's a blowout. Yep. That's three scores. It was a Four smashing. Uh, Technically three scores. Got it. People want to know. Uh, Warren G just popped into our uh, YouTube, I think, unless it's a fake Warren G. Uh <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. Uh, someone want to know, again, when's our next television? Thursday at 7 p.m. Yeah. We will be answering all your BYU questions, previewing that game. Good stuff there. So make sure wherever you watch this, if you're watching on YouTube, Facebook, uh, Periscope, uh, I believe. What's the other one? There's another one. I don't think there's YouTube, another one. YouTube, Facebook, and Periscope. That's it. Sorry. Yeah, that's all we got. <laughs> but you can also send questions from Twitter. Maybe that's what you're looking for. Can, yes, that's what I was looking for. You can send questions you. on Twitter. You can or do you can a call lot us. of calls. But yeah, so Thursday, 7 p.m. Sunday, 7 p.m. We're going to keep that schedule. 
throughout the season. Uh, Sunday, 7 p.m., because Clay Hilton has his conference call at 6 p.m., so we get some reaction. There wasn't a whole lot from the conference call today. Uh, just, was, you know, not a lot of injuries. Everyone played that, good. It's just kind yeah, of that's the other thing that people were asking about injuries. USC came out relatively clean injury-wise. Uh, Christian Rector was pulled towards the end with a minor ankle injury, Helton said. But he said that he doesn't expect anyone uh, will be out for BYU due to injury. And Christian Rector, this goes to the defensive depth. And I was like, oh, you, you got to sit out a little bit. You know, he's like, yeah, not even worried about it. Because he's got so many other guys that come in. You know, you, yeah. if you have to sit, you know, if you have to get banged up a little bit, it's not like you've got to rush yourself back in yeah. and you, know, you can actually get checked out or whatever it may be. And you feel confident in the guys behind you. One point that I want to go back to the caller that made the three questions. I couldn't remember what the second question was. It was about the mobility of Keaton Slovis. Oh. JT Daniels, I thought, did a really good job both in the scrimmages and against Fresno State with his pocket mobility. And it's not necessarily either one of those guys are going to take off and you're, if you're a defense, you go, oh, no, they're running. It's that they can move around and you're just like, why does it feel like we can never sack this guy? And I, I thought JT Daniels was really good about moving around against Fresno State. I, I thought the same thing with Keen Slovis about moving up in the pocket and being willing if nothing's there, then to pick up three or four yards and slide. Yeah. And, and I think that's a really – that's something that you haven't seen USC do so much in the past. Even when Sam Darnold was running, like, you know, when he took off, you're like, oh, no, he might fumble the ball and is he going to slide? Whereas USC's been – the quarterbacks have been really good about taking off, getting what they can, get down instead of, you know, not risking a big hit or anything like that. Yeah. I can't believe I bit on the Warren G fake. That's – that's. Was it a fake one? I believe so, man. <laughs> A rookie mistake. His son's on the team. You know? I know. Like you know, so, a lot of players' parents jump in, so yeah. I got a little. And we praised him already. So, unfortunately, yeah, if it is Warren G, yeah, we, we gave OG a lot of praise earlier. It's so. true. Uh, we have one more caller who's been waiting. Shall we go to him? Okay, uh, so let's wrap it up with this caller. Rapid fire. Caller, you're live on Tunnel Vision. Hey, uh, how you doing? My name is Michael Edwards. Um, I comment quite a bit. I appreciate you guys so much. You guys like to answer questions when you can. Uh, you guys do a great show, and I really appreciate your uh, your optimism and your honesty about your feelings, whether they're the trending feeling or not. Uh, my question is about Keaton Slovis, and basically why wasn't more done to uh, quiet the skepticism over the week? Um, I feel like a lot of people were kind of scared coming into the game, and the kid played great. Like, if we were expecting this, if they had that much confidence in the kid knowing he could do this, then why, why didn't they do more to quiet the crowd? And... Uh, I hope this continues. Well, thanks, Michael. Um, I, I think the optimism we had in the offseason was a lot about the system that was coming in. Yeah. All the quarterbacks looked good. If you could have a Slovis come in as a three-star recruit that didn't have a whole lot of offers, come in the spring, and you're like, he could play in this offense. Like, you, looked at, you would look at him like, I didn't think he was like, better than JT Daniels. Like, the, the way he was practicing, he had some ups and downs. But... He was running the offense fine. Matt Fink was running the offense fine. Jack Sears was running the offense fine. So I think there was some optimism more in the scheme. Um, did we know he was going to go out there and throw for 377 yards? Look, no, I mean, I didn't, didn't know that. But we didn't know. We thought Sam Darnold was really good. But once the game, when the, the game was going on, he was great. And I think Slovis looked even better in the game than we've ever seen him at practice. Now, he gets to do a lot more things. But it's, you know, it's... You don't know until you're out there uh, with the lights and everything on. And uh, he's, he, he showed what he could do Saturday night. I thought, I don't know if he's referring to us calming the criticism or the oh. team. Because if you're the team, I, I don't know why you would, you know, if you're Graham Harrell or Clay Helton, you know, they said that they like the kid, yeah. they, they like what he's doing. 
you know, why? Graham Harrell said, "I told you so" a bunch of times. Yeah. So, yeah. so I, and plus, if you like, if you just like, you jump up on the table and like, no, this is gonna work. This is gonna work, and then it doesn't. It looks terrible. So you yeah. kind of just let it play out. You got to let somebody, you know, let them play and let people see them play. Um, so I think that was part of it for us. You never know what you're gonna get from a freshman. I mean, we saw him in that yeah. second half of, of the Fresno State game. You say. Okay, it's okay. I mean, the yeah. throw to Tyler Vaughn's is good, and that's kind of, we saw the arm strength, but you don't know about the pressure in the pocket. That's the biggest thing. That's why I think the, the poise is why I think was the most impressive thing to me, and the fact he was willing to go through multiple reads. You know, the fact that he was willing to say no, as JT Daniels said about him, you know, and not just take the first option, but to, re, to go through his reads and find an open receiver. Yep. Kelly had this look on her face like she went, what were you going to say? Kelly? I wasn't going to say anything. Uh, someone said, check his profile. It really is him. I think it is him. So, oh, hi, nice. Orangey. Thanks for watching. Hey, yeah. Um, yeah, so. that's OG, what four pass breakups. Two big ones on that uh, stop we after the Bayless Jones. We were his praises earlier. Fumble. It was huge. Uh, Turning point of the game, we thought. Yes. When it was 17-3. But that's going to wrap it up. Thanks so much for all the calls. So many people called. Some people didn't even get through. Uh, so thank you for everyone who called. All the comments, everyone watching. We really appreciate it. Uh, like I said, we are on Sundays and Thursdays at 7 p.m. for all of the reactions, news, and notes from USC football. Uh, but that's going to wrap it up. That's Shotgun. That's Ryan. I'm Keely. And we'll see y'all on Thursday. Bye. See ya. Come back Thursday. We'll, we'll try to put you, you guys first in the queue. Yeah. People that sure. you didn't get to? Oh, you were off, but yes. <laughs> I know, but it doesn't matter. If you want to win your fantasy football league, it starts right now. The offseason is the best time to get ahead of the competition. We'll help you win your league on the Fantasy Football Today podcast, part of CBS Sports Podcast Network. Fantasy Football Today has three episodes every week following the latest news, giving you early rankings, early sleepers, breakouts, and busts. So if you're a dedicated fantasy football manager, check out the most dedicated podcast, Fantasy Football Today. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere podcasts are found.